You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Good morning. Hey, before I begin, I want to just uh, kind of start with... um, just a couple of things on the side here. Uh, I noticed when I came in this morning that somebody had gotten some books out there on 199 Promises of God. And if you've been coming for the last uh, month or so, I've been kind of preaching on Hebrews 11. And we just have been talking about how important it is to know what the promises of God are because you can't have faith. Faith only comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So God's promises are what we put our faith into. And so I talked last week, if you don't have a promise from God, it's really hard to move in faith. So I was, had been challenging you to get a promise uh, that pertains to a need or a situation in your life, get that promise. And if you don't know what a promise from God is, where to find them, this little book, it'll give you uh, the promises, where to find it in scripture. So you can just kind of take this and begin to read through this and just allow God to illuminate if there's a or several promises in here that God wants you to stand on. The books are $2 if you can afford it. If you can't, take it for free. Um, Pastor Mark will pay for it. Uh, So we just, yeah, okay. He he said he bought them, so yes. Uh, Scrap the $2, just take them all for free. so anyway, we've got those out there for you, uh, and we would love for you, uh, if you, this would be a, of a value to you, we would love for you to pick one up and take it home with you today. Also, just kind of want to just give a plug for the new movie, Risen. Janie and I did go and see it last night. We give it our pastoral stamp of approval. Not that you need that, not that that's important, but we did go see it. It was kind of funny because we got in the car and Janie was like, so what did you think? I said, I liked it. She said, I did too. She said, I just kind of found myself throughout the whole movie, every time the character Jesus spoke, she said, I was just saying this prayer, God, please let whatever comes out of his mouth be biblical. (laughs) You know, you never thought you'd pray for Jesus in that way, would you? But it was really, really good. So if you haven't gotten out to see that yet, it, it is a really good movie. And, you know, and again, it's, um, they do take liberties, but, you know, there's, I think, a lot of truth that, you know, there's, you know, things I'm sure they did search for the body after they claimed he was risen. Um, so, you know, it just kind of, you know, gives you some things to kind of think about what may have happened following the resurrection in regards to them wanting to find the body to prove that he hadn't risen from the dead. So it was a very good movie, and I encourage you to see it if you haven't yet. I want to pick up where we left off last week. Actually, I don't really want to, but I have to because of Mark and Jason. So um, I want to kind of pick up where we left off last week. We've been kind of talking about Abraham's walk and journey there in Hebrews 11, and so far we talked about, a couple Sundays ago, talked about faith that was, you know, first exhibited in Abram's life at that time. He was called Abram, age 76. He's living in Ur of Chaldees. God calls him to pick up stakes, move his family, and go to a distant land. Now, the unique thing about this was, was when God called Abram to go, he didn't exactly tell him where he was going to go to. He just said, just start walking, and I'll tell you when we get there. Second event in Hebrews 11 kind of talks about Abraham, and we talked about this last week, talks about their that fulfillment of God's promise to both Abraham and Sarah in regards to a son who would be named Isaac. And it would be through this son born to Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, that Abraham's descendants would come forth from. So in Genesis 17, 19, God makes a promise 
to Abraham, and he says there, I will establish my covenant with him, and he's referring to Isaac, the son that would be born to them, for an everlasting covenant for his, Isaac's descendants after him. So in other words, God is promising Abram there that he would bring forth nations and kings from his descendants, beginning with the son he was going to give to Abraham and Isaac, or Sarah, named Isaac, and that that lineage would eventually include the Messiah. So Abraham and Sarah's faith was rooted in the fact that God made them a promise, and that God was faithful to fulfill that promise to them, even despite the fact that at that time, when Isaac was conceived, Abraham was 100 years old, uh, felt like he was too old to be fathering children. Uh, Sarah was barren and beyond a childbearing capacity. And again, their unwavering faith in God's promise to them despite these impossible realities regarding their physical uh, bodies. Now let me just pause before we get into this third one. And I want to just remind you of something I kind of talked about last week that I think would be good to remember. And again, one of the interesting facts of the progression of faith that we see there playing out in Hebrews chapter 11 in regards to Abraham is the degree of difficulty increased with each one. Now again, leaving your homeland, pulling up stakes, moving your whole family at the age of 76 is difficult, but not as difficult as having a son when all the physical requirements or potentials are against you. As I stated last week, it seems like God kind of waits until it reaches this stage of impossible with Abraham and Sarah for him to kind of do the possible, what only God could do, what is only possible with him. So God kind of purposely waits until it's completely beyond their ability, it's out of their control to do anything. And once they kind of get to that place, God just kind of moves in and does what only God can do. And some of you, I kind of said last week, some of you, God may be bringing you to that place right now where, where you're going to just get to a place where this is impossible. I've got God's promise, but it's impossible. And it's at that point that God's going to say, yeah, it was impossible for you, but nothing is too difficult for me. Now, the other thing I think is worthy of repeating is a quote I gave last week from theologian John Brown, who said this following regarding Hebrews 11. He said, Hebrews 11 brings forward a great variety of instances from the history of former ages in which faith had enabled individuals to perform very difficult duties, endure very severe trials, and obtain very important blessings. Now, you see all three of these playing out kind of in the examples of faith there in Hebrews 11 regarding the faith of Abraham. Not only does the degree of difficulty increase with each uh, journey or segment of Abraham's faith there, um, and we see that, you know, that he obtains very important blessings in the land that he kind of uh, inherits from God. Uh, he sees the blessing of, of having a son through Sarah named Isaac. But you also see how Abraham's faith is so pivotal 
in the difficult duties and the severe trials that he went through, again, in just leaving his homeland and in the act of offering up his son Isaac, which is where I want to pick up today. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises were offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, and and now he's kind of, the, the author of Hebrews 11 is now quoting Genesis chapter 21, verse 12, and this is again, a promise that God gave to Abraham, and he said, in Isaac... Your descendants shall be called. He, Abraham, considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, which, from which he, Abraham, also received him, Isaac, back as a type. Now, let me just be honest. It was very, very, very tempting to just skip over this one section, this one story, and just kind of move on to Hebrews 11.20 and talk about Isaac's blessing of his sons Jacob and Esau, which we'll do next week, because this story of Abraham offering up Isaac as a sacrifice really puts God in a pretty tenuous situation. It kind of puts God in what I would kind of see as a pretty negative light. It kind of puts God in a very, very difficult, if not uncomfortable, circumstance, right? I mean, we read the story there in Genesis chapter 22. We're reminded of that story here in Hebrews 11, and we're thinking, does God really honestly call Abraham to sacrifice his son? And if he does, and I'm not so sure he did, how could God call someone to do something most of us in this room would, dis- would say is unimaginably evil? I mean, most of us sitting here this morning, and no God would never, ever call any of us to kill our children, albeit there are moments If someone came up to you and honestly, I mean seriously said to you, God told me to sacrifice my child. Most of us would equate that. We would probably tell the person, that is not the voice of God. That is the voice of the enemy. It's your imagination. It's not God, okay? Yet in Genesis 22, it appears that God does call Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. I don't know about you, but I'm sitting here thinking, I don't like this story I just think it kind of puts God in a very, very bad, negative light. So what's going on here? Well, let's go back to Genesis 22. This is kind of the story that Hebrews 11 is kind of pointing us back to. And let's see what we can learn about this episode in Abram's faith journey. Now, Genesis 22, beginning with verse 1, it says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, Here I am. And God said, Take now your son, your only son. Some of your translations may say only begotten son, whom you love, Isaac, 
and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now let me just stop here and I just want to make a couple of observations before we go on. The tendency for most of us, and and I'll, I'll put myself in that camp, is when reading this story, our attention and focus immediately goes to verse 2, where God tells Abraham to offer up Isaac as a, as a burnt offering. And then we try to begin to make sense of the story entering in through verse 2. Now, oftentimes, again, our struggle with this story and God's role in it comes precisely because that is our focus. That's what kind of has our rapt attention is what God calls uh, Abraham to do. And we just kind of just skip over verse 1. Okay, here's the mistake I made, here's the mistake a lot of us make when we're reading this story is we just skip, we just run through verse 1 and we don't focus, or we, we, we run to verse 2, we don't stop, we don't think, we don't focus anything on verse 1. Verse 1 goes a long ways toward explaining and helping us to make sense of verse 2 and what God is really up to in this challenging story. Now, again, notice how it starts. Now it came about after these things. What things? Isn't that a good question? How many of you have read that before and haven't asked yourself that question? You just read that and kind of went on. Now it came about after these things. Well, again, just go back to Genesis chapter 12 where we're first introduced to Abram. You can read everything that has happened in Abram's life beginning there in Genesis chapter 12 until you kind of get up there to Genesis 22. Again, we've talked about this. He leaves his homeland, goes to a distant land, leaves his family, friends, ends up in, G- in, in Egypt, almost has a disaster happen there as Abram lies to Pharaoh about his wife, Sari, being his sister. You had the issues between Abram and his nephew, Lot. They, they get into kind of a, a, a dispute, and they just have to basically divide up the land for their livestock. Abram at one point has to go into battle against several kings to rescue his nephew Lot. On his return from battle, he meets uh, with um, the high priest Melchizedek, and there he kind of uh, offers him a tithe. You have the initial promise from God to Abram of his own son there in Genesis 15, and then you have the whole episode where Sarah kind of substitutes Hagar, her handmaid, in her place. Ishmael uh, is born 13 years later. We've talked about that. God tells both Abraham and Sarah, no, 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 it's not Ishmael. It's not the one I'm going to make the covenant with. It's going to be the son you both are going to have. And again, you have the covenant of circumcision uh, instituted. Abraham intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah, but you eventually know that those uh, cities are destroyed. And uh, you have the whole uh, issue um, where Abraham goes in and and tries to intercede, uh, ends up just kind of uh, being able to rescue Lot and his family. Uh, Abraham once again deceives King Abimelech with kind of the same thing he did to the Pharaoh in Egypt, tried to pass his wife off as his sister. And then in Genesis 21, Isaac is born. Then we read, you know, where Hagar and Ishmael, they're kind of driven out of Abraham's household. So a lot has transpired. Now, did did you all get the timeline? I'm going to quiz you on this. 
So uh, the, the, my point being, a lot has happened in between chapter 12 and chapter 22 in Genesis. And everything, I mean all that I just told you and more, that has transpired in Abram's, Abraham's life at this point was a training ground. This is faith boot camp. This is where Abraham is learning how to discern, how to hear, how to obey, how to walk in faith to God's promises, to the voice of the Lord. And here God is just trying to teach him and instill in him what it means to be a man of faith, how to trust God's promises, how to know the will of God for his life. So this, this is all these things are happening because God is trying to teach Abram uh, something about what it means to have faith. So Genesis 22 kind of opens up and it takes all of that into account and says, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. So what the writer is telling you is there is a past history that you are being asked to consider and to take into account as you read further into Genesis 22. Are you with me? Okay, three of you are, good. Now let me just say a couple of things about this. First, that word tested. There in some of your translations, it may use the word tempted. Let me give you kind of a more accurate Hebrew word, and some of your translations may have this, and that is the word proved. God proved Abraham. Now, you gotta get this. This is worth the price of admission, okay? You gotta get this. God proved Abraham in that what God was about to do was he was going to use this situation with Isaac to prove, to reveal, to show Abraham something about his faith that God already knew concerning Abraham's faith, but he's testing, he wants to reveal, he wants to show Abraham what he sees, what he knows about Abraham's faith. God did not do what God did in this story with Abraham and Isaac because God wasn't sure where Abraham's faith was. God didn't kind of come up with this to say, I'm going to do this because I'm kind of interested to see what Abraham's faith is like. I'm just curious. I don't know. He knew. Okay? God didn't need to prove anything to himself. He wanted to prove, to show, to reveal something to Abraham about his faith that God already knew. Are you with me? Two of you. Good. We're going down in numbers rather than up. Sometimes God will bring particular situations and circumstances into your life in order to make known to you what God already knows concerning you. To show you what he sees in your heart. 
to reveal strengths and weaknesses in your walk of faith and relationship with God. God doesn't ask you to do anything because he's curious or he doesn't know. He knows. He just wants to make sure you know where you're at, what you're thinking, what your level of faith is. So I'm going to kind of give you situations and circumstances so that it will demonstrate, it will reveal to you what I already know. So this is happening to Abraham in order to reveal something about him that God wants him to know and to see. And again, God may do that with us from time to time. Amen? The other interesting aspect here is that we, the reader, are given some information concerning what God is up to in this while Abraham has no idea God is about to test him. We do because of verse 1. Before God does or says anything to Abraham, we the reader read and say, oh, okay, God's getting ready to test Abraham. Abraham doesn't have that knowledge. He doesn't, God doesn't say, what I'm about to do, Abraham, is to test you. He, we know that just because that's what it says, but Abraham didn't know that. Kind of similar to Job's story. Job does not have knowledge of a prior conversation which takes place in the heavenlies between God and Satan there in chapter 1. We know, we're reading the story, and we know about that conversation that takes place between God and Satan regarding Job, but Job has no idea. He has no idea why what is happening to him is happening. And it's in the same sense here, Abraham has no idea God is about to test, to prove, to reveal something to him about his faith, and he's going to use the situation, the circumstance uh, with Isaac to show him what God knows, what God sees regarding his faith. Amen? Are you with me? So, based on what we see there in verse 1, I think it is completely safe to say before you even get into verse 2, where Abraham is actually commanded to sacrifice his son, I just get this very clear sense and confidence that God has no intentions of going through with this. This is not about... God setting up this situation with Isaac to see if Abraham would obey or not. This isn't God saying, I'm going to do this because I just want to see if Abraham has enough faith. I'm not doing this to see whether he'll obey me or not. That wasn't the issue. God already knew all of that about Abraham. He knew that he was a man of deep, solid, unwavering faith. He just wants Abraham to see that about himself. So God purposely chooses something. Remember what I said, everything increases in the degree of difficulty. God purposely chooses something that would be more difficult than anything else Abraham had ever faced in order to increase, to build, to reveal, to show 
Abraham, his faith toward God, his faith in God's promises, his faith in God's power and ability to do and to be faithful to what he has said. And what God was calling Abraham to do was intended by design. Even though God had no intention of going through with it, it was designed on purpose to be staggering and incomprehensible. It had to be greater than any other thing God ever called Abraham to do. And God called Abraham to do something that was so radically different than what Abraham would expect in order to make sure that Abraham is struck by the force of what God was calling him to do. Now the problem for a lot of us, and again, I include myself in that, is we start this story with verse two. We skip over, we minimize verse one, and we're immediately stuck, and we're focused on the perceived evil of what God is calling Abraham to do, and we're trying to make sense of the act, all the while missing the intent behind the request. Does this make sense? All this was designed to do and could God have, have come up with something else possibly? All this was designed to do was to reveal, to prove, to show, to validate just how deep, unwavering, solid Abraham's faith and trust was in God and God's faithfulness to fulfill his promises. How do we know this is true? Well, look at the writer of Hebrews 11. He refers us back. He points us back to this story. And yet, I don't get the sense he's hung up on this. He doesn't offer any explanation to try to get us to move past that onto the real point. He just gets to the real point, which isn't about the sacrifice at all. What is the point that he's trying to get for us? Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham. When he was tested, proved, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son, it was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendant shall be called. This is so key. You got to understand Hebrews 11 to really understand Genesis 22. The writer in Hebrews, nobody offers any explanation for this. Jesus doesn't, Paul doesn't, none of the other disciples do, none of the other New Testament books do. Nobody offers an explanation for this. Why? Because one wasn't needed. They understood what the whole story was about. It wasn't about the request. It was about Abraham's faith. So what was Abraham's faith there in Genesis 22? His faith was in God's promise to him, that through Isaac, God was going to bring forth nations and kings and eventually the Messiah. And Abraham knew God's promise to him could not be fulfilled if he killed Isaac and Isaac remained dead. So immediately, when Abraham hears the request from God there in Genesis 22, asking him to offer up Isaac, he doesn't get all flustered. Come back, is that Satan talking to me? 
Could you repeat that? Because that sounds really evil. Why would God promise me that my descendants are going to come through Isaac, and now you're telling me to sacrifice him? God, you're talking out both sides of your mouth. No, he doesn't go there. Rather, Abraham's faith and focus is grounded solidly in the promise that through my son Isaac, my descendants, which by the way are going to outnumber the stars in the sky, through Isaac, my descendants are going to come. And Abraham's response is simply this. And it's why there's no reaction. It's why he's not flustered. Abraham's response is either God's going to provide a substitute, which he did with the ram, or God will raise Isaac from the dead. No other option. Abraham's unwavering faith in God's promise, again, it allowed for no other option. There was no way that God could abandon his promise to Abraham. No way. There's no way that God could lie and tell Abraham something that God was not going to do. And God would not be able to fulfill this promise to Abraham if Isaac was dead. So Abraham reasons, God's obviously up to something else here. Isaac dying and staying dead wasn't even in the cards of consideration for Abraham because he had rock-solid faith in God's promise that not even this apparent contradiction was going to get in the way of his obeying God. Man, that's faith. That's where you get so focused on faith that the other things over here don't get you sidelined. Don't get you off focus. And that's what this test, this proving was intended to reveal to Abraham. Abraham had so much faith. And God said, I, I want to just show you, Abraham, how much faith you really have. You know, maybe Abraham, maybe you kind of beaten yourself up and you kind of just think, I don't really have a lot of faith. And God's saying, let me show you, son. Let me just show you how much faith you really do have in me. He was not going to get sidelined by the whole question, why would a loving God ask me to do something that on the surface is so evil? Because Abraham already knew he was so confident that if this even plays out fully and Isaac dies, God will bring him back to life because Isaac has to be alive for God's promises to Abraham to come to fulfillment. And God is faithful. He cannot lie. He cannot deny himself. So Abraham is not concerned. He's not flustered about the unusual, albeit shocking, request. He doesn't argue. He doesn't question God he just knows God has a plan that will allow for his promises to be fulfilled. And since Isaac is kind of the key player in that promise coming to fruition, God will not allow Isaac to die and remain dead. Again, does that make sense? Good, five of you. Now let me just interject something here. Because I was, I mean, earlier part of this week, I was just really tempted to just kind of move on, and I, I, and I shared with Mark and Jason, I just, I, this story, it's just, I just, I don't like it. 
well, if you don't talk about it, we're going to stand up and start booing and heckling you. And so if they do that, security, throw them out, okay? And don't, don't give them their coats. We'll mail them to them in two weeks. I think Donald Trump did that, didn't he? Yeah. Let me just interject something here that I've always found very, very, very interesting, but I never really fully understood until I connected it with this story. Do you remember in John 8, Jesus gets into this really heated dispute with the Pharisees regarding Abraham? And there's just this back and forth um, with Jesus. And, and the disciples are kind of there watching and they're praying, dear God, please don't let anything that says that comes out of his mouth be unbiblical. <laughs> but he makes kind of this statement, and this is what he says in verse 56 to the Pharisees. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. What day did Abraham see? What day is Jesus referring to here in this discussion with the Pharisees? Theologians and biblical scholars believe it wasn't just the day of actually seeing Jesus the Messiah come to earth through the lineage of Isaac, but I believe it also included him seeing, having revelation concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, Hebrews eleven nineteen refers to this. It says, Abraham considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead from which he also received Isaac back as a type. Now that word type there, it means a person or thing as in the Old Testament believed to foreshadow or represent someone or something in the New Testament. So Isaac is a type. He represents, he's foreshadowing Jesus who would one day come. Now again, some of your translations kind of refer to Isaac as uh, when God says, take your son, your only begotten son. Who else was called a begotten son? Jesus. How many of you know that where they went, where they ended up on Mount Moriah? Anybody here know what Mount Moriah was eventually to be called? Calvary. How many of you remember that Isaac was the one that carried the wood up the hill for the offering? Jesus carried some wood up a hill for his crucifixion. He is a type. He represents Jesus. So I believe Abraham sees he has some kind of revelation concerning the resurrection of the Messiah from the dead. And by the way, he was not the only Old Testament character who had that kind of revelation. And Abraham reasons there in Genesis 22. As all of this is unfolding with Isaac, if Almighty God can do that there, he can do it here now, if God can do that for his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, when he comes one day, it stands to reason that God can do it here today for Isaac if that's what it takes. Another translation uh, reads 11, Hebrews eleven nineteen. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. So let me just ask you the million dollar question. Where does Abraham get this sense? I went into Jason's office this week and I said, I have a question for you. Where does Abraham get this sense, this idea, this revelation, this thought 
that God was able to bring people back to life again. I went through the scriptures of Abraham's life beginning there in Genesis 12 where we're introduced to him, and I read clear through to his death, and I am not aware of any situation or circumstance in Abraham's life where he would have witnessed or had testimony concerning anyone coming back from the dead. So where does this idea, this thought, this revelation come that God is able to raise the dead? I think it had to be a revelation. There had to be a vision, a word, some form of revelation comes to Abraham in which God revealed to him his ability and power to even raise the dead. And in part, this is what Jesus acknowledges and he affirms there in John 8. Abraham saw Jesus' day, not just that God would come in human flesh, but that God would die and be raised again to resurrection life. Abraham saw Jesus' day and he rejoiced. And he then applies what he sees, what he understands concerning what is to come in regards to the resurrection of the Messiah and he just applies it to a situation with Isaac. Not to mention, just look at Abram's response. Initially, there's no response on Abraham's part to God's request other than Abraham gets up very early the next morning, loads the donkey, and off they go. Three days later, they arrive at their destination, and Abraham says to the other men who traveled with them, and Isaac there in verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad Isaac will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham knew Isaac's coming back. He's going to go up the mountain with me, and he's going to come back down the mountain with me. And he tells the guys, you stay here. We're going up, and we'll come down. And we'll see you when we both get back. All of this was to prove, to reveal, to show, to demonstrate to Abraham and to us how firm, how unwavering, how resolute, how solid Abraham's faith was in God and his promises. That even in the face of a request so staggering, Abraham never loses faith, never loses focus in the promise of God and God's faithfulness to fulfill it. And God gives us an example through Abraham of the kind of faith he wants to to develop in us. Like Abraham, God wants us to have that same kind of unwavering, unmovable, unstoppable faith in him and in his promises to us that no matter what, no matter what happens, our eyes are fixed, our hearts are anchored upon him and his promises to us. This is the kind of faith that pleases God. This is the kind of faith God rewards. See, we sometimes just make faith too simple. And I'm not saying that there aren't simple elements to it, but sometimes we just make it so simple. That's why I'm doing this study. It's not something we can do on our own. That's why faithfulness or faith is a fruit of the Spirit. It is something the Holy Spirit has to develop in us. And that's why you can go back to Romans 4. We talked about this last week. It talks about the faith of Abraham in verse 18. I love this. In hope against hope, Abraham believed. 
so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to perform. If there was ever a time Abraham had to hope against hope and not waver in unbelief, man, I believe Genesis 22 would have been that time. If Abraham wondered what his faith in God and God's promises was like, Genesis 22, it revealed to Abraham what God saw, what God already knew concerning him and his faith. And Abraham was fully assured that what God promised him, he was indeed able also to perform it. And again, all of this, the whole story really is intended to be an example to us of the level of faith God wants to work into our hearts concerning himself and his promises to us. Can you say amen? Let's stand. I just want to challenge you again because I know some of you, maybe you're here for the first time or you've missed a couple of weeks. Again, what are the promises of God you're standing on? You'll never, ever grow in faith without connecting to the promises of God that he has for you. So you got to have at least one. I would love for you to have a multitude of promises of God that you would say, this is a promise specifically I am standing on. Some of you here that maybe you're battling with, with illness, disease, sickness, there are healing scriptures that God wants to give you that you can stand on and just trust and believe that God is able to do what his promise to you says regardless of the circumstances, the situation. Some of you are here in financial distress, and and God has promises in here concerning uh, provision, prosperity, and you just got to get those promises, and you just got to say, despite the circumstances, God, this is your promise to me. I know you are faithful. I know you are faithful. A covenant God, you're faithful to your promises to me, and God, I'm going to stand on this promise, and I'm just going to remind you of your promise to me, God, um, and I'm going to just stand on that. So again, if you're here this morning with a need, a difficulty in your life, I promise you there is at least one promise in here that will pertain to whatever you're going through, and if you'll just get that promise and stand on it, God's going to show you something. Not just about your faith, but he's going to show you something about his great love for you. Amen. Father, we just thank you so much for this morning. Again, Lord, for what you're showing us um, through Abraham. and, and, And God, just for where my inabilities to communicate may have gotten in the way of of fully communicating or understanding, uh, conveying the story here to the congregation. God, I pray that you'll just kind of move in the Holy Spirit this morning and fill in any gaps, bring wisdom, revelation, because God, we, we got to get a hold of this. We got to be able to walk in this. We got to be able to understand this. So Father, I just pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit who is here to lead us into all truth that, God, you would lead us into all truth regarding this particular story. God, that it's not one that we kind of shy away from or we kind of wince when we read it. But, God, we read it and we say, wow, what an opportunity God took to show Abraham what a great man of faith he is. 
And Father, I just pray, Lord, that if those situations, circumstances ever come into our life, God, that again, we would know that, God, you're using this as an opportunity to show us, to reveal to us something about our faith. Maybe it can be about our lack of faith, God, that you see, that you want us to see, that, God, we would be able to grow, to press in, to push deeper. So, God, I just pray, Lord, that you would just come. And by your Holy Spirit, God, I just pray that you would place at least a promise, one promise, God, that would correlate and pertain to a situation that we're dealing with, God, whether it be relationships, whether it be finances, sickness, depression, whatever it may be, that, God, you would just give us one promise. And then, God, teach us how to stand firm unwavering, trusting that promise and trusting in your faithfulness to do what you said you will. And so, Father, I just thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Lord, for the challenge that this gives to us. And again, thank you for the opportunity to just grow, to walk, and to live in faith. Father, we just ask, Lord, again, that you would just deepen and increase that faith a faith that pleases you and a faith that you reward. And we just thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.